Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. Oh, beautiful and loving God, you cannot take your eyes off of us. So may we be seen by you, Lord. May we, may we know your adoring, adoring love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. In case you're wondering, where are these songs coming from? Well, I looked at the gospel text last week, and immediately a song popped in my mind when I heard this. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. You're like heaven to touch. I want to hold you so much. You're just too good to be true. And I was realized, you know, this is a Frankie Valley song. It's been redone a bunch. But it was a big hit for Frankie Valley in 1967. It was his biggest hit, in fact, reaching number two on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, until, until his number one hit, My Eyes Adored You, in 1975. My eyes adored you. I'm not going to sing. My eyes adored you, right? Like a million miles away from me, you couldn't see how I adored you. So close. So close. And yet, so far. Now, what in the world does Frankie Valley have to do with the gospel? Well, I say everything because in today's gospel, Jesus gives us an image of God, who a God who can never, will never, cannot take his eyes off of you. A God whose eyes adore you. This may be Jesus' best-known, greatest parable, right? And it's the most powerful revelation of the heart of God the Father. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So our lesson begins today with this faithful, religious, devout, synagogue-attending, law-abiding people who were upset with Jesus. And the reason they were upset with Jesus was because he befriended and had fellowship and acceptance with the people that these devoutly religious people dared to call unclean, unworthy, unworthy, and undeserving. And they see Jesus befriending these people, 
And they're angry, they're upset, and they're grumbling. Because these people were the tax collectors, as you all remember. These were Jewish people, but they were traitors who colluded with the hated Roman-occupied group. And they were swindling money from people. And so Jesus was befriending these tax collectors. And the people hated it. They were angry. But there are also this group of people they named as sinners. Sinners were people outside the proper, acceptable community because they had violated the religious laws and they had ignored the poor. And so they're grumbling. This man eats with sinners and tax collectors. And they're upset about that. So Jesus does what Jesus often does. He tells him a story. But he tells him a story in defense of his right to associate with those they considered unworthy for the sake of the gospel. So while they're grumbling, Jesus tells them a story. There was a man who had two sons. There was a man, a man, who had two sons. The story, ultimately, as you will see, is about a man, about a man with a big heart, a man who couldn't take his eyes off his sons, a man who looked at his beloved kids with adoring eyes. It's a story about love, but it's a story about lostness as well. And most ultimately, it's the story about the reckless and radical love of a father for his two sons. A father agonizes over one son, a lost son, and he runs to embrace him and celebrate his return home. It's a story about a father, though, that agonizes over a son who's lost in bitterness and resentment and self-righteousness, and he pleads for him to come and join the celebration. Ultimately, Jesus is painting a picture for those devoutly religious people of his days and those hearers of his story. He's painting a picture of the image of God. So when you think of God, what image do you bear? Who is God in your mind, in your heart? What is God like? What is the image of God? Jesus begins There was a young son. He goes to his father, and he requests his inheritance. Y'all ever heard this story before? (laughs) Okay. Right? He requests his inheritance, which was basically saying, you're as good as dead to me, you know? It was a shameful, dishonoring, and degrading as disowning his family. Your money is more important to me than your love, than your presence, than your very life. See, I think this son perhaps was asking for something more, though, than just property or money. It says that he asked his father for his share of the property. The word property in Greek, usia, usia means substance. It means essence, his beingness, right? He is asking for his life to be independent of his father. He wanted the freedom to live life completely on his own terms. He wanted to set the rules. He wanted to set the agenda. For him, that meant he had to have a separate identity from his father. And as I look at this story, 
I think in many ways or in some ways or whatever, that this story is really about all of us. I think, I know speaking for myself, we've all left home. We've all left home and attempted to do life apart from the Father's love. We were created by love, for love, to live in love, to be love. And we've left home and left the Father's love. See, leaving home is the denial of the spiritual reality that you, that I, that we belong to a divine love, to God with every part of our being. And then it, it, we, once we start to leave that love and start to define things, we start to believe and accept the world's lie that we can create our own identity and we can live independently and separately from this divine love, our divine image that's in us. You know, leaving home is rejecting the truth that you and I and that we were created in the image of profound love and, and, and that we're deeply, deeply valued by the Father, God, and accepting once again the lie that we don't need God and I can make it on my own. See, when we leave our true home, like the son in the story, we do end up lost in a distant country. We do. And then we get lost. You ever been lost before? You ever been lost? I get lost all the time. If Katrina's not with me, I am like lost, right? But it's a funky, fearful feeling, isn't it? It's unsettling to be lost, you know? And it's just like the sun. We get lost and we wander off into the distant country without a sense of direction or meaning or purpose. And we feel like we've been disconnected and that we're alone and that we're a million miles away, cut off from our source of life, God. But the truth is, and I think what Jesus is trying to get across to these religious people, the truth of our lives is, is that we, uh, that our lives are a gift, a gift, and our substance isn't our own, that we were never intended to be severed from our source, from God, our Father. And like the younger son who squandered everything, right, and he lost what? His essential self. And that happens, and we sometimes lose our spirit. We become spiritually bankrupt, if you will, spiritually homeless, and we're starving for meaning and purpose and connection. And just like the younger son, we end up lost. It's not a good feeling. The younger son, the story says, hits bottom, right? He's covered in pig filth. And while he's out there with the pigs in the mud and all the other stuff that the pigs do in the mud, it's all over him and his body and he's eating their food. It says that he kind of comes to his senses. He's like, whoa, this is, man, this is not good, man. My best thinking got me to this place. 
My best thinking got me to this place. You know, I need to take a real look at my life. And he takes this honest appraisal of himself, of his life, and he realized then when the pig slop in the filth, right, he realized that everything that he ever wanted, that he ever needed, was to be found back home with dad right back at his father's house so he starts to think oh my gosh he knows what he's done it was the worst thing that he could have possibly ever done he basically said to his father you're as good as dead to me he shamed his father he shamed his family he shamed the whole village and now he's here wanting to go back so he comes up with a bargain a speech right he's going to go to his father and 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 Give him the speech, right? Makes his way back. He starts his journey home. And his story says, Jesus says, while he was still a long way off, what happened? The father saw him. And what did the father do? He did something that no man with any self-respect in that culture would have done. He saw his son and he ran toward him. See, the truth Jesus is saying is that the Father, God, this mothering, fathering God cannot take his eyes off of you. That the Father watches and waits for us to return from those distant countries. And when he sees us, he doesn't see us with anger. And he sees us with compassion. Because his eyes adore what he loves. His eyes adore. And he sees his son and he runs toward him. And he loves us even when we've done the very worst thing that we could possibly do. Because the truth is our identity, our deepest core of ourselves can only be realized and known and experienced through those adoring eyes of the Father. Out of his own compassion and delight, the Father runs to what? to be reconciled to his lost son. And here's the truth of the story. That son had nothing to offer but his desperate need. And so as he begins his remorseful speech, right, the father interrupts him right in the middle of the speech and called to his servants, hey, we're going to have a feast and we're going to celebrate my boy's return home. For my son was dead and is now alive again the father's heart rejoices see god is indeed waiting to meet us when we return and notice there's no payment his forgiveness is total complete and immediate no grudges no punishment no you should have or you could have no rebuke, no advice, no demands, just grace. Just grace. Like the sun, we are worthy of God's love and healing. 
not based on our personal merit, but grace and the image that we bear in our being, the very image of the Father. And Jesus says this is God. This is what God is like. God is like a father who can't take his eyes off his son, who adores him with every fiber of his being. Now the story continues because there's another son. Y'all remember that? Right? When the older brother who had been working in the fields hears about his younger brother's return home and, and this huge celebration and the music playing. They got Frankie Valley going in the background and he becomes very, very upset because like the Pharisees, this guy had done everything right and yet he misunderstood the nature of the father's love. He was kind of focused on himself. All his goodness was really about him. Where's my party? I've done everything right. He was very upset. And Jesus wanted these religious leaders who had no compassion for the lost to see themselves in this older son. Right? And the father in the story gently reminds his older son of his love. He's like, everything I've had, everything that you are, everything that is here is yours, and it always has been. Come, join the celebration. Your brother, man, he was dead, and he, he's come back to life. He was lost, and he's found. Come join this celebration. But the older brother had a problem. He couldn't do it. He was lost equally, but he was lost because he was judging his, older bro his younger brother for not measuring up. In other words, I think the older brother was offended, offended by grace. Grace really does offend. It offends our sensibilities of right and wrong. It offends our uh, sensibilities of deserving and undeserving. Grace offends us deeply, often, right? Unless we're the ones receiving the grace. But he was offended by the grace of the father toward his brother. And he was lost in being the good child and his sense of entitlement, believing that he had earned and therefore deserved his father's blessing, that he somehow could get it right while his younger brother got it wrong. The Pharisees and the scribes were angry with Jesus for welcoming tax collectors and sinners because they had failed to understand the adoring eyes of God for his children. And in this story, Jesus paints this picture, this image of a God who longs for the lost, the broken, the hurt to be found. That God is filled with joy when a single sinner repents and comes home. Jesus paints a picture of a father, of a God who rejoices when a relationship is restored.
This is the image of God that is revealed in Jesus. A God who cannot take his eyes off of you. A God that adores you even when you're a million miles away. Isn't that something? Have you ever allowed yourself to be seen by the God who cannot take his eyes off of you, who heart, his soul literally adores you? But this, this is who Jesus claims that God is. And what I want you to know is that God's attitude, God's spirit towards you, what I want to feel in my soul, in my very being, whether you've wasted opportunity after opportunity or you've been quietly working away faithfully and wondering if God has even noticed that God's love for you is absolutely unwavering and that God never takes God's adoring eyes off of you, never gives up on you, never turns away from you ever. Grace offends. It's offensive to self-righteousness, to self-justification, but grace is the healing essence of God to those of us in need, right? Because grace is greater than sin. And love, Jesus says, Jesus claims, love never ends and welcomes every lost child home, even those lost in self-righteousness. Because we have a God who cannot take his eyes off of you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time. Remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.